Well, originally I intended the message on humility just to be one message, but it was um, a topic that really just we needed to spend more time in. So if you've ever done woodworking and you've done some staining, you know that sometimes the stain has to sit a little while to get the kind of get the color that you need. Or, or kids, if you've done the Easter eggs, you know that you know sometimes the eggs have to sit in the in the glass of colored water for a little bit longer to get the color that you want. So, in the Holy Spirit's uh, work, uh, I just thought it was is best that we spend some more time dwelling, thinking about humility and its and its opposite, pride. And that's because pride destroys lives. It destroys marriages, it destroys friendships, and it even destroys churches. One of our missionaries sent me this very sad example just two weeks ago, uh, probably less than two weeks ago. And we'll call this church Steadfast Bible Church. It's not its real name. So this is really just coming from him. He said, there's a church that's, that's uh, been supporting us, one of our missionaries, a good 10 years. And they just up their support of this missionary to $1,000 a month this past March. And that was an answer to prayer because he had lost some support. But over the summer, that church suffered a massive meltdown. This strong congregation of some 250 people with ministries happening worldwide is now struggling just to keep the lights on. They have 50 in attendance. That, that church went from 250 to just 50 in a few months. Three of the five elders resigned and are gone. What happened? Well, the elders got into a sinful conflict about whether abuse within a marriage constituted legal grounds for divorce. Now, we're ta talking about crimes, okay? We're talking about abuse, and, and I don't know how the person defined that, but that's what the conflict was about. One of their pillar families within the church, an older couple, they'd been in the church more than 30 years. They started looking for marital counseling, and the wife met with the associate pastor, who was a TMS graduate, and she has finished. She accused her husband of abuse, and she was just done. She was finished. She wanted a divorce. The associate pastor happened to agree with her. He, he talked to the, to, the, to the lead pastor about it, and he agreed with, with uh, the associate pastor. But the three other elders looked at the two, two uh, pastors, associate pastor and the lead pastor, and looked at them and said, are you out of your loving mind? What, why are you agreeing to this? And the fight was on. The lady wanted a divorce, so she pursued that. The church began picking sides. Who would they line up uh, against and who would they line up with? The senior pastor resigned and a bunch of people left with him. And then one of the other elders resigned and people left with him. And then when the associate pastor realized that he was not first in line to be considered for the lead pastor role, he left, and then more people left with him. And so in a matter of just a few months, a strong church with many ministries going on dwindled to the point where, like, there's five families. I mean, it's, uh, ten families left. Uh, uh, they're just kind of staring at each other, wondering what happened. With, in a big building with lots of, lots of ministries going on, one of those elders ne needed to call uh, our missionary and say, look, this is what happened. 
you know, we have enough money in our savings to continue your support until the end of the year, but we're not sure what's going to happen next year. So short of a miracle from the Holy Spirit, that support's going to end. But, but it's just so sad of what, what happened. It didn't, didn't have to be that way. You know, just think of all that was destroyed because of sinful conflict. A local church that had been thriving for decades, gone, destroyed. The Lord will do something. He will rebuild it, but it'll be a different church. Lives destroyed, friendships destroyed, ministries destroyed. All because conflict wasn't handled biblically. And I, I, would, I would say, though I don't know any of the people personally, I don't even know the really the church at all, pride played a part in that. Each of them thought they were right. And they, they pursued conflict instead of pursuing humility. And this cat- catastrophe could have been avoided by walking in the Spirit, walking in love, Walking in humility. Remember, we're looking at biblical conflict resolution. So you can remember those things. Walking in the spirit, walking in love, and walking in humility. If you will do those three things in obedience to God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will totally change all your, all your conflicts that you're going to have. You will have conflicts in your marriage, with your children, with your extended family, with your church, with coworkers. You will have conflict, but it will radically change the dynamics of that particular conflict. And particularly so if both parties are, are believers and Christians. So if you're going to honor God, you must learn to kill pride, pursue humility, walk in humility, so that God can use you to preserve, to protect, and even to restore unity. And we started looking at two weeks ago, that, that there are three pride-killing disciplines that you need to adopt to help you walk in humility so that you, don't, that, so that you do your part to maintain uh, unity for the glory of God, for the good of your neighbor, for your witness for Christ to the world and your own spiritual growth. That's one of the things I want you to see is that the conflict just doesn't stay local. That local church conflict spread, ministries are destroyed, a missionary is losing, more than one missionary is losing missionary support. But think about the, the church's testimony in that, in that community in which they reside. Hey, that, that's a stain on the name of Christ. So it's, the conflict's never about just two people. It's always, it always expands. There's always ramifications beyond that. So just to review a little bit for those that weren't there. So we started out by looking. This first discipline was to maintain unity. You must walk in humility. And, and I just pointed out the fact that, that humility and unity always go together. So where there is conflict, sinful conflict, there's going to be pride. Right? And, and you, maybe one person has more of it than the other, but both parties are sinners. So there's pride involved in both sides. Not saying everybody's equally responsible, but pride plays a part in these conflicts. You can never have unity when pride is present. And you can never have unity without humility. So when you encounter a conflict or a circumstance that could blow up into a conflict, you need to immediately examine your heart. You're not examining the other person's heart. That's not a time for you to, to, to go and point out all their sins. It's an opportunity for you to examine your own heart and look for pride in your own life and how you can walk in humility. Secondly, we looked at the discipline of, of understanding humility. That is, to walk in humility, you must understand what it is. Uh, 
humility is easy to misunderstand. And we, we look at some people who are, we would describe as humble because of how they look down upon themselves. But in fact, that's false humility. We, we, we examined some last week. We can define humility as lowliness of mind. It is the opposite of conceit, arrogance, high-mindedness, and selfish ambition. Uh, humility is both a mindset and a way of living. It's, you th- it's how you think about yourself, how you interact then with God, how you relate to God, how you relate to others, and even how you relate to your own self. Alexander Strzok explains that humility is a lowly or modest attitude towards self, God, and people, and a corresponding lifestyle that accords with that attitude of mind. We, we looked at the fact that true humility doesn't come naturally it's not easy the, the the easy way is the prideful way proverbs fourteen twelve says there's a way which seems right to a man but its end is the way of death and we also looked at the fact that the source of humility is god if you want to grow in humility you seek him for that he will supply it god can give you humility he can cut through the the fog of pride to give you a clarity on, on areas of your life that need to change. And we also looked at the example that Jesus Christ gave us. Now, I want to be careful here and say that Jesus Christ didn't come just to give us an example. He came to become incarnate, to die on the cross for your sins, to be raised in newness of life, so that everybody who believes in him could have everlasting life. That's why he came. But in so doing, he did give us an example. So there are some people today that say Christ was a good example. You should follow him. I agree with that. But he wasn't just that. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Right? So he came to die for your sins. And for his disciples, he says this. Remember, we looked at John 13, where Jesus came and he washed the disciples' feet. I mean, here is, you have the Son of God. Yes, he's in human form, but he's God. He created the heavens and the earth, and he's washing the disciples' feet. Dirty, stinking feet. So he gave you an example that you would follow in his example. Now, there are churches that do foot washing in their services. We don't do that because I don't think Jesus instituted that as, as in the same manner like he did the Lord's Supper or in the same manner he did baptism. He, he did that to give us an example that we would go do it. Not that we would do it on a stage and show everybody how humble we are. Right? I'm not saying everybody that does that is doing it for those reasons. But the point is, in your daily life, you're to be washing each other's feet, taking care of each other. Take the lowly role, because that's the, that's the example that Christ gave you. And he called the apostles to do that. And if he called them to do that, he calls all of us as disciples to do that. And then in Philippians 2, we looked at the fact that, that, G, that we're called to have the same kind of attitude that Jesus had in Philippians 2. And I'll just let me read this. He says this, I'm reading from Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, some people will misuse that verse and say, well, see, God, Jesus wasn't really God because he, he, he didn't consider that anything to be grasped. Right? Understand what's going on. Jesus laid aside all the prerogatives, all the glory, everything he deserved. He set that aside temporarily 
in order to become a man. And look at the word, he, but he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Right? Doesn't mean he stopped being God. Right? But, but you understand that he emptied himself of all the prerogatives of being God. And the fact that he emptied that means that he had that to start with. So he had all the, the glory. He had all, everything, prerogatives, everything that God deserves, Christ had that. But he emptied that. He set that aside to take the role of a servant, to die for our sins and to set an example for us. So, beloved, look at, look at your Messiah. Hear nothing else. Let your, let your Messiah motivate you to holy living. He did it. He calls you to do it. And if you refuse that, don't call yourself a disciple of Christ. Right? Don't fool yourself into thinking you can be a, a, a disciple of Christ if you're pursuing a life of pride. If you walk in humility in the Lord's strength, you will radically change the dynamics and outcomes and conflicts you experience. So when you, when you hit those conflicts, right, look at how you can wash the other person's feet, so to speak. Yes, they might have hurt you greatly. Yes, they might be guilty of more sin than you. Look for a way to wash their feet. Your Messiah did that, and he calls you to do that. Right? Now, the next pride-killing discipline that we started looking at last time was the desire for humility. You must earnestly desire humility. And, and the reason I emphasize the desire for humility, because if you don't desire it, you're not even going to grow in it. And, and humility is not going to grow just by happen chance, just by like mistake or not even a mistake, but just but by odds. God wants us to pursue it as an as an intention. And why should we pursue this? Humility is essential to a beneficial relationship with God. You can't walk in pride and walk with your Lord for the Lord hates pride. Right? So he's going to work to diminish your pride and, and to bring you low so that you depend upon him. That's the reason, one of the reasons the Lord brings trials into our life. The Lord brings trials so that we'll re realize that we can't handle things on our own and we need God. And we call out to him for help. 1 Peter 5.5 5 tells us that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's 1 Peter 5.5. 5. And then Isaiah 66, 2 says, but to this one I will look. This is God speaking. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Contrite of spirit means that you're broken over sin. You, you're just brought to a low place. It, it, it's, it's very similar to the idea of being humble. And the humble one trembles at God's word. The prideful one disdains God's word, ignores God's word, is deaf to God's word. But the humble one trembles. That means listens and seeks to obey in the fear of God. So humility is essential to a beneficial relationship with God. We also saw humility is commanded in multiple places. But, but two in particular, Ephesians 4, uh, 1, 1 to 4. Let's just go there and remind ourselves what's there and read that together. Ephesians chapter 4. The first four verses. Paul says there, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were, you were called in one hope of your calling, 
And then to emphasize the unity, he goes on in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that the idea of unity, and we must pursue humility to preserve that unity which the, which the Lord has purchased. So it's commanded. And, and in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Peter uses uh, an illustration of something you do every day. Right? You clothe yourself. You put on clothes. Right? So he says, and clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's 1 Peter 5.5. 5. So just like you get up and you put clothes on your body, you are to get up and clothe yourself with humility, covering everything about you, what you how you think, what you do, what you say. Thirdly, we're to desire humility because humility calms and cools and soothes conflicts. So this, this dovetails with what I've said before, that as you interact with people, as you are humble, the Lord will use that to calm the conflict. Even if the other person is not a believer, your humility, you walking in humility, will help calm that conflict. Uh, you are to, to have this attitude, this way of thinking in yourselves, which is also in Christ, Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5. So humble words and actions, calm feelings, cool angry tempers, and soothe hearts. It's very difficult for a conflict to continue when you can commit yourself to walk in humility. You can't control the other person. But you can ask for help to be self-controlled so that you walk in humility and your words are humble and you're thinking humble things about the other person. Fourthly, humility leads to other Christ-honoring habits and characteristics. So humility isn't specifically one of the fruits of the Spirit, but as we talked about, it is one of the, the foundations for all the fruits of the Spirit. Without humility, you can't love one another sacrificially. Without, without uh, humility, you're, you're not going to be uh, joyful in difficult circumstances. Without humility, you're not going to be at peace with people around you. Humility helps you to be to be patient, helps you to be kind, helps you to be gentle. Strzok notes this, he says, and I quote, humility also generates understanding, compassion, forbearance, and forgiveness of others' faults and errors because a humble mind knows keenly its own weaknesses, sins, ignorance, and errors. Uh, that is just so true. And William Farley in his book, The Gospel-Powered Humility, says this, he he says the bottom line in, in this is this. He says the, in, the indis, indispensable virtue, the one needed for intimacy with God and all spiritual fruitfulness is humility. What Jesus called being poor in spirit. That's a reference to Matthew 5, 3. So, so listen, we take a step back and realize that we must foster, must grow a desire for humility and that stands in opposition to what our flesh wants very often. Right? Humility is something that we don't crave for in the midst of conflict. In the midst of conflict, your sinful flesh is going to scream out, that's not fair. He shouldn't treat me that way. I'm done. Right? That's like that one woman said, I'm done. I've had it. This church, I'm not going back. Or this marriage, I'm walking away. This friendship, I'm not talking to him again. All those are the voice of the flesh, not the spirit, not humility. But we think those things because that's what our flesh does. 
pride is, is like it, it, it goes hand in hand with indwelling sin. As long as we have indwelling sin in us, which is going to be as long as you live on earth or until Christ returns or you, go, you die and you go to heaven and be with Christ, you're going to have pride within you. It's not, it's not if, it's how much of it. It's where it's being displayed. That's true for you. It's true for me. None of us are exempt. We must fight. We must fight pride. When our special forces go out to, to seek after a dangerous terrorist, they go out with orders to capture or kill. And sometimes it's just too dangerous to bring in that particular terrorist alive. So he's not coming back alive. It used to be like the Wild West. You see some of the shows where a criminal was wanted and they put up wanted signs all over in various towns. Wanted, dead, or alive. Very dangerous criminal. Pride is that dangerous criminal. God has given you orders. He's put up a wanted poster, but it's don't take it alive. It's kill it. Too dangerous to keep it alive. Too dangerous. So where it is manifested, kill it. Don't give it quarter. Don't excuse it. Don't let it live. Kill it. And I have to emphasize this because our society thinks that pride is a good thing. Our society thinks that it's, it's a good thing to be prideful. In fact, there's a lot in our society that wants to build up people's self-esteem. The problem with people is they don't think, think enough of themselves. That's a lie. And it's completely opposite to what God's word says. Trying to help someone caught in pride is like trying to help someone who thinks they're a strong swimmer and is caught in a riptide. If you've ever been swimming in a riptide, if you're in a riptide, you cannot swim towards the shore. You are not strong enough. You will be taken out to sea and you will drown unless someone rescues you. In a riptide, you must go cross. You must swim parallel with the beach until you're out of the riptide and then you can swim in. But sometimes people think they're strong swimmers and they're just swimming against the riptide, but they're not going to make it. Well, that's kind of like pride. Is. Pride is, is that dangerous riptide. If you're caught in it, you, got, you just got to look to get out, right? And that's fleeing to Christ, right? Looking for the way of escape that God will provide you if you look for it. In his humility, um, the, it, called uh, the forgotten virtue, Wayne Mack rightly diagnoses the situation in our culture today. And I quote, In our world, pride is almost always considered an admirable trait. People are proud of their nationality, proud of their positions, proud of their sports teams, even proud of their honor students. The United States citizen is proud to be an American. The gay community has adopted pride as part of its motto. It would seem that everyone is proud of something and proud of it. It is increasingly apparent that our world has lost touch with the idea that pride can be a very destructive and evil thing. Indeed, it would seem that the only evil associated with pride these days is either not to have it or to, de to destroy someone else's, unquote. That is the world of which, we live in, which we live in. And that tends to influence us. That tends to conform us to that way of thinking. And we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that's what we're trying to do this morning. Stuart Scott, in his book, From Pride to Humility, 
also warns us about the plague of pride. He says this, pride is the epidemic vice. It is everywhere and manifests itself in many ways. As much as we may hate to admit it, we all have pride, each and every one of us. The question is not, do I have it, but where is it and how much of it do I have? We all have the tendency to think too much about ourselves and too much of ourselves. Notice those two ways that he says it, too much about ourselves and too much of ourselves. Thinking too highly and thinking too much in quantity. So, beloved, we, we must realize that if we're going to resolve conflicts biblically and help restore and keep unity, we must walk in humility. Now, keep in mind, humility, we're applying it to the arena of, of personal conflicts or church conflicts or those kind of things. But humility will impact all of your life. There's benefits much wider than just that's the arena we're looking at in biblical conflict resolution. So for unity, you must walk in humility. You, 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 to walk in humility, you must correctly um, understand humility. To walk in humility, you need to desire humility. And, and the third thing we're going to look at, the third pride-killing discipline we want to look at is that we must carefully cultivate humility. Now, I want you to cultivate humility. God wants you to cultivate humility. I want you to think of the idea of a, of a greenhouse and all the work that goes in to, uh, that a gardener will put in to causing certain plants to grow for the benefit of others. That's the idea that we need to keep in our mind. We, humility must be cultivated. First, the first discipline or, or the, to, that will help us to carefully cultivate humility is, is to recognize the foundation of humility. And much of what I'm going to say here dovetails with other parts of, of the message, but, but that's good. It gives us a good reminder. The foundation for humility is being born again by God above. If you are not born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you can offer a false humility, meaning you can appear to be humble, but you will not be humble in heart. But it's only the humble in heart who recognize that they're sinners, that stand in judgment before God and need God and seek his forgiveness and his new life. Think about what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. I'll just read it for you. John 3, verses 3 to 5. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Remember who he's talking to. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is what? Not a teacher. But the teacher of Israel, right? his temptation for pride, it's high. Right? He's following the law like he, he's trying to figure out how to obey the law to get to heaven. And he's realizing because he comes to Jesus at night, he's realizing that, that that's not working so well for him. But he's afraid and so of others, so he comes at night. And I believe that Nicodemus got that message. We see him uh, at Jesus' crucifixion helping Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body down off the cross and bury it. So I think Nicodemus did get that message. He was, in the end, humble. John in, tells us in John 1, verses 12 to 13, that, that the, the way to be transformed is by faith. Listen as I read. But as many as received him, that is, received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So understand that, that God grants saving faith 
and when he, when he grants saving faith, that person is born again spiritually. And he's, they're born again by the power of God. It's, it's not their decision. It's not their parents' will. It's simply because God worked. And if you are here this morning and don't know whether or not you are a Christian, I plead with you to humble yourself, come before God, and call upon Him today. Today, that it can be the day of your salvation. Don't let pride blind you any longer. Call upon him. And our Lord is long-suffering and patient. And he will never turn anyone away who comes to him in humility, seeking him by faith to believe in him and trust him. Do that today. So that's the foundation. Right? Without, without that foundation, you could, again, you can put on some kind of false fruit of humility, kind of like the fake plastic fruit. And from a distance, it looks pretty real. You know, some of that plastic fruit nowadays looks pretty authentic until you start touching it, smell it, try to taste it. Doesn't, doesn't work, does it? Well, that, that's, that's the case here. That humility from a distance, someone can look like they're humble. But again, that humility of heart begins with being born again by faith in Christ. Secondly, keep your eyes on the King Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on the King. He's your perfect example. We've already read this. Scripture says, have this attitude which is in Christ Jesus. And then it points you to the example that he had of, of coming as a, a lowly man. That he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of the man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death on a cross. So keep your eyes on him. The importance of that is this. So if it, some of you might have, might have dogs, you might have trained dogs. That one, of the, one of the important things when you train a dog is to get the dog to look at you. You don't want to, when you're giving that dog orders, the dog needs to look at you. And those, the, the dogs that are trained well, you could throw a piece of meat on the floor and, and the, the key is getting that dog to keep its eyes on you. Does it want that piece of meat or does it want you? If, it, if, it, if that dog takes his eyes off of you, you know it's going to disobey. He's going to look at that meat and he's going to go for that meat. But as long as the dog keeps his, his attention and focus right on his owner, he will sit. Until you tell them to go get it. Right? So that's the idea. I'm not calling you guys dogs. I'm not calling myself a dog. But we're, we're, we're sheep. But I'm just saying. If we keep our eyes on Jesus. We're going to be less tempted. To like pursue the way of pridefulness. Right? So that, that's, that's the illustration we need to keep in our head. And we need to realize the spirit's empowerment. So walking the path of humility. Is not something you can do in the flesh. It's not something you can do on your own. It's like you can't sanctify yourself, but you're called to pursue sanctification. So this is what Paul's talking about. Philippians 2.12. He says, then, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice the command. You're to work it out. Now, he's not saying save yourself. He's talking about sanctification. So pursue, grow in sanctification. The next verse says, for it is, a, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God wants you to be humble, so that's his will. That's clear. So if you ask him, you think upon Christ, you pursue that, he will help you. You can't do it on your own. You will fail on your own. Why? Because if you could do it on your own, that would be a prideful thing. At the end of it, you could say, oh, I did that. But the end of sanctification is perfection. You will be perfected, but not by your own strength. Because of the power of God working within you. That's the Holy Spirit. So thirdly, realize 
the Spirit's empowerment for humility. Fourthly, we must reject excuses. You must reject excuses. Philippians 2 says this. Do some things from selfish ambition? No. You hopefully recognize that it's wrong. Do what? Nothing. Nothing from selfish ambition. Nada. Not a thing. Zero. Zip. That's what I mean by reject excuses. Reject excuses. Remember that pride in all forms is evil. It's evil. Listen to some of the saints of old Listen, uh, talk about pride. Andrew Murray says, Pride is the root of every sin and evil. Pride is the root of every sin and evil. Amy Carmichael says this, Those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. Boy, that's wise. Charles Swindoll says this, The world's smallest package is a man wrapped up in himself. Right? That's a pretty good analogy. The smallest package is a man wrapped in himself. Because he thinks he's like this big. God's gift to the world. But in reality, no, he's nothing. Thomas Watson says this, Pride is a spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates, intoxicates it. It is idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. Ah, there it is. That idea. The proud man wants to worship himself. When in fact, we need to be worshiping God. So focusing thoughts upon God. Stop thinking so much of ourselves. Think upon God. Think upon others. So reject excuses. Don't, don't, don't allow pride to live in any portion of your life. And when you realize that you said something prideful, done something prideful, or thought something prideful, repent of that. Ask for forgiveness from the Lord. Right? And if you've said it or done something, ask for forgiveness from the other person. Right? Fifthly, pull all the weeds of selfishness and pride. And this goes right along with rejecting excuses. Pull all the weeds of selfishness and pride. Remember we talked about uh, cultivating humility. So think of a garden. Right? Weeds always grow. Right? The, one of the, one of the um, uh, consequences of the fall. You don't have to plant weeds. They just grow. And if you don't pull the weeds, it's going to overtake the good stuff. And it's going to at least limit the growth and it may even kill some of the other things. So you get the analogy. Pull all the weeds of selfishness and pride. Uh, Romans 6 12 to 14 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Sin has a way of deceiving us and it, 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 it makes us think that we're in charge when it really is the one in charge. So don't let pride rule over you. Pull it up. Pluck it. Kill it. Uh, James 3, verses 15 to 18, talk about this in regards to, to this whole issue. He says, the wisdom, that is, the wisdom is not coming down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. It's comparing earthly and heavenly wisdom for, for where... Jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There is disorder and every evil practice. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without doubting, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right? So pursuing thinking with heavenly wisdom. And then in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6, Paul tells us how we're to fight the spiritual battle that we're in. He says this, 2 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is fulfilled. Think about what he's saying there. You're, you're taking those speculations. You're taking those thoughts, which are he, he describes them as being raised up against the knowledge of God. That's pride. Things raised up against the knowledge of God. And he says, you're taking every thought captive. It's not it's, it's like. When you're, when you're doing something prideful, acting out in pride, or saying something prideful, it's because you have prideful thoughts. So Paul is saying, go to the heart of the matter and attack your thoughts. Take every thought captive. If you have an evil thought or a prideful thought, take it captive, reject it, admit that it's sin, and ask the Lord for help to think upon good things, things that he wants you to think about, which is, which is him and loving others. Think about how hard-headed the... Uh, the disciples were, the apostles were. Even though Jesus talked about loving them, demonstrated loving them, yet even on the eve of his crucifixion, they were arguing over who would be what? The greatest. That's what they were focused on. So use them as, an, uh, as kind of an illustration of what not to pursue. That's how easy it is to pursue prideful living. Strock notes this. He said, selfish ambition has no place in the family of God. It is utterly incompatible with our blessed Lord's teaching on humble servanthood and brotherhood. It is antithetical to Christ-like sacrificial love. Selfish ambition is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is a work of the flesh. It undermines people who are trying to work together in unity. It motivates people to be demanding and controlling and to brush aside anyone who disagrees with them. Only those who have the spirit of Christ-like humility can handle possessions of power and Positions of power and authority without oppressing others or serving an exalting self. So heed the words of the Spirit of the Lord. Do nothing from selfish ambition. And he also notes that conceit produces vain boasting and feelings of superiority that hinder conflict resolution. Conceit causes us to be defensive and self-righteous and stubborn. It blinds us to our own errors. When people confront us, lovingly confront us with our sins, we just we just brush it off. We we tell them that, that they they're the ones that has have a, that they have a problem. But remember Proverbs thirteen ten, with arrogance that's another word for pride. With arrogance comes quarrelling, only quarrelling. But with those who receive counsel is wisdom. That is, those who receive counsel are those who are humble. You will become more wise. And then Proverbs sixteen eighteen tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. If you continue walking in pride, if you're a child of God, God's going to confront your pride and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more painful than if you would just humble yourself and submit to him. And I want to I bring back up something I, brought, I mentioned the, the, two weeks ago, and that is this, that, that self-pity is a form of pride. See, our world would tell you you need to think higher of yourself. 
the self-pity is actually a form of pride. You might, might wonder why, and, and I'll, I'm going to try to explain it here. I'm going to quote from Stuart Scott. He says, but what about those, and, and this, is, this uh, quote is from Stuart Scott's book, From Pride to Humility, and there's some copies of that book on the, the resource uh, rack in the back. He says, but what about those who are caught up in self-pity, who are self-absorbed with a sense of failure? This too is pride. They are just on the flip side of the pride coin. People who are consumed with self-pity are focusing on their own selves too much. They are not concerned with the glory of God. The self-focused person who bemoans the fact that they are not what they desperately want to be, which is elevated and esteemed, that they should, they should not be deceived into thinking that they are not proud. To sum it all up, a proud person believes that life is all about them, their happiness, their accomplishments, and their worth. And sometimes it goes so to extreme that they will kill themselves because they're not happy or because their life isn't what it should be. And that's why I say that is selfishness. It's pride. It's prideful thinking. But the world will say they know they need to think more of themselves. No, that person needs to think more of God. If you don't have any reason to live, that's a good place to be. Live for God. He's your creator. He's your sovereign one. When he wants you dead, he doesn't need your help. So trust him. Live for him. And he will give you more reason to live than that. But you start with that. Just live for him. And he will broaden your horizons. Get your eyes off of yourself. So seek to identify pride in all its forms. Now on your sheet, uh, on your seat, sorry, there is a, a two, really a four page, uh, two physical sheets, little tool I'll, I'll call it, entitled Helps for Fighting Pride and Cultivating Humility. So those that are on the live stream or listening to this message later will just need to email me to get a copy of this at truth at medinabible.org, truth at medinabible.org, and I'll send you a copy of this. This is Stuart, coming from Stuart Scott's book, Pride and Humility. The publisher gave me permission uh, to give this to you, to print it to you. These are tools, and we won't take time to go through all this. You can, you can do it, but I want to read the headers here. These, all these are manifestations of pride, right? Complaining against or passing judgment on God. A lack of gratitude in general. That's really important. This is Thanksgiving week, right? So really, our Thanksgiving is a form of humility as we give it, give it to God. Anger is a form of pride. Seeing yourself as better than others is pride. Having an inflated view of your importance, gifts, and abilities is pride. Being focused on the lack of your gifts and abilities is pride. Perfectionism is pride. Talking too much is a form of pride. Talking too much about yourself is a form of pride. Seeking independence or control is a manifestation of pride. Being consumed with what other, others think about you is a form of pride. Being devastated or angered by criticism is a form of pride. Being unteachable is a form of pride. Being sarcastic, hurtful, or degrading is a form of pride. A lack of service to others is a form of pride. A lack of compassion is a form of pride. Being defensive or blame-shifting is a form of pride. A lack of admitting when you were wrong is a form of pride. A lack of asking forgiveness of others is a form of pride. A lack of biblical prayer. That's a big one. When we don't pray, we're saying, God, I got today. I can handle today. 
Now, you, you and I would never say that. We'd never say that. But when we don't pray, that is what we're saying. God, we're okay. We got it. I can keep my heart beating. I can keep my lungs breathing. Of course, that's foolishness, right? But we do need him. But, but a lack of prayer is a, is a manifestation of pride. Resisting authority or being disrespectful to authority is a manifestation of pride. Voicing preferences or opinions when not asked can be a form of pride. Minimizing your own sin and shortcomings is a form of pride. Maximizing other sins and shortcomings is a form of pride. Being impatient or irritable with others is a manifestation of pride. Being jealous or envious is a manifestation of pride. Using others, just looking at them for what they can do for you, that is a form of pride. Being deceitful by covering up sins, faults, and mistakes is a manifestation of pride. Using attention-getting tactics, and that's very general, but there's a lot you can do to just attract attention to yourself. That's a form of pride. And, and not having close relationships. No one's good enough to be your friend. It can be a form of pride. Now, I give these to you so you can help identify pride in your own life. That's why there's copies for everybody. Examine these. These will help you cut through the fog of war to see the pride in your own life. It's not an exhaustive list, but it, it's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty thorough. So use this on a regular basis. Keep it, keep it close. Keep it handy. Think about these things. Uh, Meditate on these things. There's, a, there's scripture references listed with all of those. So seek to identify pride in all its forms. Then when you see it, you do what? The good news is you ask for forgiveness. And God always grants it. He never says to you, no, I'm done with you. You failed too many times. He never does that. He's patient. He's long-suffering. First uh, John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, 5, when David sinned against God, he's, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not cover up. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's something to meditate on. Right? So as sinful human beings like to hide our sin, but God says, no, if you confess your sin, God already knows about your sin. But if you come clean before him and confess your sin to him, he forgives. It's his promise. What a blessing. And when we sin against others, that's what he calls us to do. Confess our sins to each other and they will forgive. We also need to pray to God for help. Seeking his help. We need to seek to live for God's glory. Remember, one of the things we said about pride is that we think too much of ourselves. The first thing we need to do is think more of God. Meditate more on God. Think about Him. Live for Him. Live for His glory. Paul, Paul says that whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, or 10, 31. Right? We're to try to fulfill, with the Lord's help, the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. To live for His glory. That will help you kill pride. And then put into practice your love for others around you. You want to kill pride? Serve others around you, even when it hurts. Now, Paul says, uh, it, he tells the Philippian church in, in Philippians 2.3, he says, but with humility of mind regarding one another, we are to think with humility of mind regarding one another is more important than yourselves. So developing a, a humble 
life begins in the mind. Start thinking of yourself as less important than the people around you. Romans 12.3, Paul says this, For the grace given to me, I say each one of you among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. There's no reason for boasting. God has allotted to each person everything that you have. So think soundly, think wisely, think humbly. And then put that into practice. Look out for the interest of others. Serve them. Continue on in Philippians 2.4. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Put it into practice. Or to use the language from 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourself with humility. Make it the garment that people see. Again, not, not to puff yourself up, but to exalt Christ. To exalt your Lord and God. And seek to expand humility in all its forms. So the second sheet or really the third, third and fourth pages, are manifestations of humility. And again, I'll just, I'll just read through these, but there's more for you to, to digest there, an explanation with some scripture references you can look up. So manifestations of humility, recognizing and trusting God's character, seeing yourself as having no right to question or judge an, uh, the Almighty, the, an Almighty and perfect God, focusing on Christ, uh, biblical praying and a great deal of it. Being overwhelmed with God's undeserved grace and goodness. Being thankful and grateful in general towards, towards others. Being d- gentle and patient. Seeing yourself as no better than others. Having an accurate view of your gifts and abilities. Being a good listener. Talking about others only if it, was, if it is good or for their good. Being gladly submissive and obedient to those in authority. Preferring others over yourself. Being thankful for criticism or reproof. Having a teachable spirit. Seeking always to build up others. Serving. A quickness in admitting when you are wrong. A quickness in granting and asking for forgiveness. Repenting of sin as a way of life. Minimizing others' sins or shortcomings in comparison to your own. Being genuinely glad for others. Being honest and open about who they are and the areas in which they need to grow, need growth. Possessing close relationships. So please take this form home with you and, and use it. Read over it. And it, you know, maybe even use it on your, some of your daily devotions, at least on a weekly basis, to, to meditate on these. Think, think things through. If you're married, talk to your spouse about these things because your spouse can help see things that you don't see. You might not want to hear some of those things, but it's what you need to hear. Right? Siblings, ask each other. Hey, brothers, sisters, are, are some of these things true in my life? God's given you siblings for, for a benefit. They see things you don't see about yourself. So ask them for input. And, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, ask each other for that. So as a way to exalt Christ, as a way to pursue humility, so we might glorify and honor our Lord and our God. Now we began this message by, by looking at the destruction of a church, all caused by sinful conflict, and in a large part, pride that fueled that conflict. But I want you to see that, that the pursuit of humility is, is not just possible in a theoretical sense, but we can actually do it with the Lord's help. And it bears much fruit, much God-honoring fruit. In early 2020, 
there's a certain pandemic that hit our country. I'm not sure if you know what it was. Uh, yeah, you do. But that really threatened to tear apart a lot of churches, ours included. We had people who thought we were being too conservative. There's a lot we didn't know in the beginning. So they were upset the fact that we were being conservative. Then later on, we had people that thought we were being too lax. And so they left because we didn't have, you know, mandate masks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what was going on amongst the members was also going amongst the leadership, right? So David Duell, Scott Kramer, Charlie Hebley, and I, as we worked through this, we were all probably in, I know we were in different places, right? And guess what? We had very strong convictions, all of us. And those things threatened to rip us apart. But by God's grace, not our own doing, but by God's grace, he enabled us to work through that and not allow those convictions, not allowing our preferences and convictions to tear us apart. And I'm thankful for those men. I'm thankful for the fact that they walked in humility with me and they were patient with me and, and we were patient with one another. And so today, our, my, my love for those men is much stronger than it ever would have been had we agreed on everything from the very beginning. And that's what walking in humility does. Was it easy? No. Was it fun? No. I wish we could just agree on everything. That would have been easier. But my love for those men is much stronger because of what we went through. And that's what God will do in us as a church as you have conflict. And, and sometimes it's just going to be a different perspective. At other times, you're going to have a deep conviction that's very different than someone else's conviction. And so the tendency is, well, I'm gone. Well, I'm breaking that relationship. I'm not going to talk to them. They disagree with me. No, don't do that. Because that's weak, fleshly love. God wants to develop in you a very deep, passionate, spiritual love that can, that can weather those storms. That's the kind of church God wants us to be. You know, if the Lord tarries, think about 50 years from now. I won't be here. My prayer is that Madonna Bible Church will be because of your commitment to truth and walking in humility and walking in the spirit. Fight the good fight. Be killing pride so that it will not be killing relationships around you. Walk in humility. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, what a great God you are. Lord, if there is anyone that deserved to be high and lifted up, and, and you are, it's you. And yet you took the humble path, becoming a man, becoming a slave, and serving us to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most humili humiliating death at the time. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that, for being raised in newness of life, and for offering eternal life to all who call upon you by faith. Lord God, help us to walk in humility for your glory. Lord God, just help us to be a church that is firmly grasping onto truth and firmly grasping onto humility. That the, these things would be firm commitments in our lives and that we would not let go of them. Oh Lord, do these things. Help us to be a steadfast church that truly walks with you 
is a, is a, a witness to others and is able to carry on ministries worldwide through Lord, the, the ministries of our missionaries. Lord, just make that happen. All 